You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning, Southridge. It's good to be here this morning. I love that song. What a powerful name it is. And every word of that song just resonated with me, especially this week. Um, As we continue in worship, it says here in Psalm 146, it says, Praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last breath, they return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your precious promises. Thank you so much for the fact that we know that you've given us a more sure word, and you've given us your word, and you are here with us now. And We thank you that we can lift up your name and praise you. And I pray right now that you would uh, be pleased with our worship and be pleased with our praise. We love you, Father. We pray that your blessing would be on this service. May your spirit work freely in this place. We love you. We thank you for the privilege it is to gather together in your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. We pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. If this is your first time at Southridge, let me be the first to say welcome. We're excited that each and every one of you are here on your seat. There's a card. It's our connection card. At any point in our service, we'd love for you to take that card out. You can fill that card out, and you could drop it off at our guest center as you kind of walked in. We've got a special gift for you. And if you have your Bible, would you take it to the book of Revelation chapter number Two, Revelation chapter number 2, and uh, we're so excited that you are here. We're looking forward to kicking off a new sermon series out of the book of Revelation. We kind of teased this a few weeks ago, and I want to come back to this book, and there's so many great things that I feel that as I've been studying it that are so powerful for us, that'll be a great help to us. So Revelation, if you don't know where it is, just find the back of your Bible and just turn there, chapter number two, Revelation chapter number two. And growing up, whenever somebody would preach out of the book of Revelation, my dad was a pastor, I was kind of like, oh man, this is going to be scary, or this is going to be weird, or this is going to be something that I just, no, let's, let's go to somewhere else. Let's study in the Gospels or something, you know. And I feel that my anxiety towards the book of Revelation wasn't just something that only I felt. I think today there is this not a phobia of Revelation, but it just kind of seems like it's one of those books that when somebody opens it, you're like, okay, all right, let's, let's see, what, what are we going to hear about today, you know? I mean, there's some strange stuff in that book, and I don't know about it, but I want to open by saying that there's three reasons why we should study the book of Revelation. Three reasons. You know, the first reason is found in Revelation 1-3, where the Bible says you're blessed by reading and hearing this book. I don't know about you, but I will take all the blessings I can get. Any blessing that I can receive, I want that blessing. Life is hard enough, so if there is a blessing in the book for simply reading the book of Revelation, yes, let's dive into it. So there's reason number one. Reason number two is because it gives us a clearer picture of Jesus. You say, what do you mean a clearer picture of Jesus? You know, when we study the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it gives us a picture of Jesus as Jesus as a lamb born in a manger, a lamb that dies for the sins of the world. But in the book of Revelation, it no longer talks about a lamb, does it? It actually talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we see a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Jesus is no longer pictured as the lamb. He is now pictured as the lion. Whereas before, he was the suffering servant. 
Now, Scripture tells us in Revelation that he's going to come back riding a white horse with a crown. See, once he came as a baby, now he's coming in royalty. You see, studying the book of Revelation gives us a greater picture of what Jesus looks like. And that's what you and I need, a clear picture of what Jesus looks like. My third reason why we need to do a study in the book of Revelation is because the book of Revelation is not just allegory. It's not just some good thoughts. The book of Revelation is future events. It's called Revelation because it's about the great revealing. It's this idea that it's always been there, but now you're able to see it clearer. You and I need to be prepared for the future. Jesus is coming not to prepare us, but to a prepared bride. As his church, we need to be prepared about the future. Many of us want to know the future. I mean, if you could know the lottery numbers, you're like, yes. If you could know the stock market, if you could know when to sell your doji coin or when to buy more, I mean, you'd be all about that. But it's amazing when it comes to future events in the Bible where it tells us about the future, we're kind of slow to read it. So as we study this book over the next several weeks, I want us to have those thoughts in our mind why we're diving into this. And I think it'll be a great help, but not only a great help, I believe that this book is a book that is great for the church for today. And I believe it's more important now than ever that the church be aware of what God's Word says in the book of Revelation. Well, I hope you've had a great start to your Sunday morning. This is going to be a tremendous season in the life of our church. And I just got to say on the outset, I am excited to be with you. It's a great looking group of people this morning. And uh, last week, I told you about my prayer request. And uh, today, I have an update on my prayer request, okay? I have an update for you, okay? So here is my update. My update is your prayers for my unspoken have been answered. You say, great, that's wonderful. Yes, it has been answered. You say, now, tell us about that unspoken. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. you got to wait. Not next week, because a lot of you are going to be traveling for 4th of July. So I was like, ah, it's kind of a rough weekend. A lot of people are gone. So we're going to wait till July 11th. Now, you got to make plans to come back on July 11th, because we've got the... The most exciting announcement we've had in seven years, okay? In our seven-year history, it is that big of an exciting announcement. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. It's going to be a celebration Sunday, July 11th, two weeks from today. Don't miss it. It's going to be a historic day, a pivotal day in what God is doing in the life of our church. And it's exciting. It's great. These are great times to be a part of Southridge, and we're so privileged that you are here. So whether this is your first time or you've been here several times, we're so honored that you're here. But let's go to the Word this morning, and let's go and dive in to chapter 2, and let's begin reading in verse number 8. We're just going to read just a few short verses together. Verse number 8 says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Some of you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Verse number 8 is a pivotal verse because it says, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Who in Scripture is called the first and the last? Alpha and Omega. Who in Scripture had died? And came back. You say, well, Lazarus, he died and came back. Yeah, but he was never called first and last. You say, well, well, there was the widow widow coming out of Jericho and her son came back from the dead. Yeah, he wasn't called the first and last. This is Jesus writing to the church. Writing to not just any church, but to a particular church. He's writing a letter to the church at Smyrna. Jesus had words for a church. How amazing is that? Like, I mean, gone are the days where we used to write each other letters. 
Jane and I, this week, we were uh, cleaning. I say we. She was cleaning and organizing, doing her favorite thing. She was supposed to be resting and recovering, but she just kept going through and organizing things. There's nothing she loves more than uh, going to the container store, buying containers, and a label maker. She can spend hours there. I promise you, if you invite her over, she will say yes in a heartbeat to organize all your stuff, all right? She will throw half of it away, so be warned. She will throw half of it away, and then uh, she, she will go Mary Kondo all over your house, all right? She loves that. Uh, we were going through letters, and I save every letter anybody ever wrote to me. And any, any of you, and I was going through some of you had written me letters, all right? And I still have them. She's like, you have letters going back from high school. I was like, yeah, I don't throw anything away. She was like, it's time. It's time to let it go. I was like, but it's so hard. She was like, you, you don't even care anymore. Like, why are you saving these letters? I was like, I don't know. I just save these letters. And then she found, because I went through a season where if I would read a book by an author, I'd write them a letter about the book. This book stunk. Rewrite. No, I didn't say that. I always thanked them for the book, whether it was great. I would just, hey, write the, write the author. So I, I would write these authors, and then I would get all these letters back. And so I like saving those letters. I have letters from E.I. Coca. I've got letters from general managers of sports teams. I've got letters from the uh, owner of the Orlando Magic. Just any author, I would just write them. And it was amazing. They would write me back. I was like, oh, that's cool. So I've got, I've got letters from these people now. Then I'm like, ah, that's cool. Just save it. It's special. But I could tell you this. There'd be no letter so special as to have a letter from Jesus himself. Like, how special is that? And the fact that not only is it a letter from Jesus, but the fact that in verse number nine, how does he open it? I know your works. I mean, think about how hard and difficult your life is. And you know, the one thing you want is not actually sympathy, but empathy. And there's a difference, isn't there? You're not looking for anybody's sympathy, but you're looking for a little bit of empathy. Somebody who just says, hey, I get it. I understand. Moms get this intrinsically. You're at the supermarket, the grocery store. All of your kids are just screaming and crying, going down the cereal aisle. And moms, you have a hard job because those cereal companies, they are gunning to cause disruption in your home, right? And Lucky Charms does not compare to a healthier cereal, all right? It just, you know, Raisin Bran and Lucky Charms, you know who's going to win. Lucky Charms winning all day long, right? And that's going to cause a, a fight in your home. And yet another mom just kind of sees you and just kind of like, be strong. Think, I get it. I know the fight. You can, you can make it. And moms just give this, do this naturally. Men, we don't do this. We don't know how to give empathy. We're like, ah, walk it off. Toughen up. Suck it up. Come on. But I love the fact that Jesus immediately empathizes with their suffering because he suffered. He can empathize with the suffering. And so we meet a church in Smyrna. And this church, as we read, we discover, first of all, that they're a persecuted church. That's what the word tells us. It tells us, here's this church, they're in this city of Smyrna, which the city of Smyrna is in modern-day Turkey. The city is still there. The ruins, you could still visit them. This was a beautiful city. This was a city that whenever there was a war between the Greeks or the Romans, this city was always pivotal, and it would always get taken over, but they would always make sure it was rebuilt because it was a strategic city. It was a beautiful city. It was a well-known city because the name Smyrna means myrrh. Jesus, when the wise men visited him, was given three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was used to embalm bodies. Myrrh is this, uh, this, this substance that if you crush it, it gives this sweet cinnamon smell. And it was used for embalming in those days. And so Smyrna was a famous city. It was a city well known. You knew you were in Smyrna because it had this sweet cinnamon smell in the air. You know, we live close to Gilroy. In Gilroy, you get not a sweet cinnamon. You get garlic. Makes you thirsty. You just walk around. You're like, I'm thirsty just breathing the air here. Just garlic everywhere, you know. And it's just kind of that. It's just in the air. So imagine a coastal city that just, ah, sweet cinnamon. Man, that is nice. This city was known for that. It was a beautiful city. It was a free city. And this city, at the same time, had a great church that was planted there. A great church. This church is the church at Smyrna. And Jesus, as we learned last time where we talked about the church at Ephesus, they were also a great church, but the church at Ephesus had lost something, didn't they? They had lost their first love. 
They had lost sight of why they're doing what they're doing. They lost sight of their motives. They were doing the right motions, but with wrong motives. And it's one thing to do the right things. It's another thing to have the right attitude. My kids, I can ask them to clean up their room, and if they stomp their feet, and if they kick, and they moan and groan, I'll say, hey, you're obeying, but you're not honoring. There's a difference. Your actions are the right actions, but the attitude is contrary. You're obeying, but your heart is rebelling at the same time. And so that's what the church at Ephesus was doing. Their heart was far from God. They, they had lost sight of it. Oh, they were going to church. They were tithing. They were serving. They were, they were doing the motions, but they had lost sight of why they were doing it. Everything flows from a heart of love for God, and they had lost sight of that. Well, here's the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna is a good church. The Bible has nothing negative to say about the church at Smyrna. As a matter of fact, it's only encouraging, it's only uplifting, it's only edifying the church at Smyrna. Even though that they were persecuted, we see in verse number 9, this is a persecuted church. You say, why were they persecuted? They were persecuted because the city of Smyrna, not only was it a wealthy city, but this was a city, as you would come into it, there would be some of these hills, and on top of the hills, they had 11 different temples that were built. And these hills were uh, gilded with gold. So as you looked up at the hills, it looks like the hills were wearing a crown. And it looked like a golden crown as you would walk in to the city of Smyrna. And there was lots of wealth. But along with the wealth came a lot of idolatry and pagan worship. And they worshipped all the Roman gods. And then along with not only the pagans, the Jews were there. And there was uh, many devout Jews. And the devout Jews hated the Christians. And the pagans hated the Christians. So great persecution came in from both sides. It's one thing to suffer when you've done wrong. You kind of get it. You just kind of know. I was talking to my son, Austin. And I was like, Austin, you're in trouble. What did you do? And he's like, you already know what I did wrong. That's why I'm in your room. So why do I got to tell you? I was like, yeah, fair enough. All right, turn around, <laughs> you know. And it's just kind of like, he, he knew he was busted. He's like, well, I got to explain it. I know I'm in trouble. I wouldn't be in your room if I hadn't done something wrong. So let's get this over with. Very matter of fact. He knew he had done wrong. So it's one thing to suffer when you know you've done wrong. It's another thing to suffer when you know you're doing right. And this church was doing right, and they're still suffering for it. And that's honestly where we're Christians today find ourselves. You're just trying to love your family, love God, and serve one another, and yet you can face persecution. Just by simply saying, you know what, I'm just trying to follow God's word on how I'm supposed to live my life, and you may be criticized for that. Some of you come into church on a Sunday morning, oh, you give up time on a perfectly good, beautiful Sunday morning, and it doesn't help with people swimming in a nice, cool pool next to us? And if we get a chance, can we close those windows? Some of the windows are propped open for air circulation. But if we can close some of those, that'd be great. Because it's tempting to want to go get baptized a second time over there. But it's one of those things where it, 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 can be, it can become an issue where family and friends are like, I can't believe you actually believe that Christianity is real. And so you may face persecution. Why? Simply because you're doing the right things. But I want you to see, even though they were persecuted, I love how Jesus praised them. He said, I know your works. Isn't it great that God knows and notices? Isn't it great that we, we can't do anything without his knowledge? That there's nothing that you and I can do that Jesus Christ doesn't take notice of? As a matter of fact, that's why in the Gospels he says, hey, even if you give a glass of water in my name, I notice. I think so often you and I, we just think that, man, I'm just serving behind the scenes or I'm just trying to uh, uh, love my spouse or love my children. I'm just trying to take care of my community the best that I can. I don't know if anybody really notices. And the reality is this. You may be right. Maybe nobody is noticing on earth. But the promise here is that God does. And that's what matters. You ever heard this statement? We live for an audience of one. We as a culture need to come back to that. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I live for an audience of one. I live to please him who died for me. I'm not doing it for my neighbor, although this meal that I'm about to take to him may bless my neighbor. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for him. So the neighbor doesn't say thank you or doesn't write a thank you card or doesn't help me out next time. That's okay. I do it for him. 
If you serve in Ridge Kids and a parent as they pick up their children, they don't say thank you for watching my children, keeping them safe and teaching them God's word. You say, that's okay. I'm doing it for him. If you get here early and set up and there's a room's a mess, you've got to vacuum and clean up after the group that left it a mess. You say, it's okay. I'm doing it for him. I know why I'm doing it. And so I know that he knows. You right now in your home, you may be serving a spouse who may not be as loving, as kind as you would like. But my encouragement is that he knows. And I don't know if you do this, but I like to underline and circle and highlight things in my Bible. When I saw that he knows, I circled that. Because there's nothing I can do in secret that he doesn't take notice of. That means that God will reward me. That also means not only am I going to get rewarded, that means I'm sowing good seed. That I'm going to have a return on that harvest. And so this morning, even if you may be going through a difficult time and you feel like the persecution's closing in, which, Christian, we need to have our eyes open this morning a little bit. Persecution is happening to the church. I don't know if you're reading the papers. The IRS is coming after uh, nonprofit churches and religious institutions now. They're saying that is a tool for right-wing extremism, so that's happening already. You say, no, 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 the IRS is already targeting, trying to take away nonprofit status. It's, it's happening. And you say, why? It's the beginning of persecution. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, we know that. We know it. And some of us feel like, well, no, it's never going to happen. It's just, you know, they're just trying to make sure that there's no religious institutions that are, that are taking advantage of them. Excuse me, if the NFL doesn't pay taxes, which the NFL doesn't pay taxes... You're saying you ignore the NFL, but yet you're going to come after a Christian school, which is what they did? That's what's going on. You, you don't think religious persecution is happening? It absolutely is happening. And not just here. The church at Smyrna actually still exists. Maybe not called exactly the church at Smyrna, but there are Christians still in this area of modern-day Turkey. They're Coptic Christians or Orthodox Christians, more Catholic in nature and in practice, but Christians nonetheless, and they suffer tremendous persecution. You can, by holding a Bible, you can have your hand cut off. By proselyting, you say, what do you mean proselyting? By telling somebody about Jesus, trying to convert a Muslim to Christianity, you could be executed for it. There's more persecution happening today than in any other time in history. But yet the church in the Western church, we're kind of naive to it. We don't understand that to be able to show up at a hotel to be able to do this freely and openly. Our church kind of understands it a little bit. We, we, we've gotten razzed by the county just a little bit. They kind of came after us just a little bit. We understand a little bit of persecution. But at the same time, it's nothing compared to what this church went through. The scripture goes on and tells us how deep the persecution is. And verse number 9 says, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty. The word poverty is not what you and I think of poverty. Across the street, they've got some uh, low-income housing. They call it bridge housing for homeless, right? And you say, well, that's for poor people. I'm telling you, this word poverty has nothing to do with that word poverty. You say, what do you mean? This word poverty means nothing. They had nothing but the clothes on their backs. That's this church. Can you imagine being that poor? As Jane was going through old letters and old notes this week, she would send me screenshots of, of old journals when we planted the church. And uh, she would share with me how one time, uh, just as we decided to plant the church, we needed to fix our car. So I took it to uh, get it worked on. And there were two things wrong. The brakes were bad and the tires were bad. But we only had money to fix one. And so I was like, okay, so do you want the tires to go out or the brakes to go out? Which, how do you want to die? You know, like this, this is what we're going to choose because we only got money to fix one. And so she was like, well, let's do the brakes. You know, at least we can stop. I think we could stop, right? And uh, so we were like, okay, we'll do the brakes. And then uh, the next day, somebody said, I heard you're playing in a church. I want to give you a seed offering of $1,000. And I said, praise God, $1,000. Now we can go get tires because it's $800 for all four tires. So I said, God provided. She wrote another message and she put it in a journal. She texted me the picture. She said, we have three pieces of bread. She, she later on texted me. She was like, how are we so broken hungry? I was like, I have no idea. I, I have no idea. You know, she's like, we had three pieces of bread. And somebody called us up and said, I have a Sizzler gift card. Do you want to go to Sizzler? We were like, it's Sizzler. No, thanks. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> we were like, yes, we want to go to Sizzler. I don't care if that crab salad is fake crab, you know, it came from, you know, manufactured. I was like, I'm hungry. Let's go. And just to see how God provided little things like that. Can I tell you, my friend, that has nothing to do with the poverty that they experienced. They had nothing. 
But I love what Jesus says to him. He says in verse number nine, and your poverty, but you are rich. Isn't that amazing? Here's a church that had nothing materially. There was nothing that the city of Smyrna, this wealthy city, this industrious city, this city of influence, this city of commerce, would look at this church and say, they're not rich. You see, that's the way man looks at us. You see, that's looking through the eyes of the natural, not the supernatural. Because we are supposed to be laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt. That's where our treasure is. Our treasure's not here. You may have a beautiful house. You may drive a nice car. You may have a nice 401k. That's great. But I'm here to tell you, if you are a child of God, your real treasure's not here. It's up there. You say, well, I got it in the blockchain. Good for you, but there's something better than the blockchain. There's something better. And we are sending our treasures up above where nothing can get to it. That's where the value is. That's what we're investing in. Something that no thief can break through and steal. That's where they were rich. And God, and isn't it amazing when Jesus says you're rich? Because think about it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So if anybody knows what real wealth is, it's Jesus. And he called this church rich. I mean, just think about that. You know, I can say to Somebody in the Philippines that's in a third world country living on top of a trash heap. And I could say, I'm rich in comparison. I am rich. But I couldn't go to some, a guy like Jeff Bezos and say, hey, man, I'm rich. Jeff Bezos would be like, you're not rich. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say that. So think about Jesus calling this church rich. It's kind of like, what am I missing? You see, you and I, we're in this mindset that, man, I've got I've to have all this. And this is what makes me rich. Oh, no. Jesus said, you're rich in something that has far more infinite value. And that's what I want for our church. I want Jesus to look at our church and say, that church is rich. You say, well, we don't own a building, or we don't have this, and we don't have that. And Jesus still say, hey, that's okay. You are rich. You've got something that is way more valuable. It's way more valuable. That's what this church was looking for. See, they were persecuted, but they were praised. And then notice this, verse number nine. I love it. Scripture goes on to tell us, I know your works, brethren, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. What is the Scripture saying there? He's saying that there were some Jews, because they rejected Jesus Christ, they are no longer following the truth. They're now not working for God. They're now literally working with Satan. What a, what a condemnation. I mean, if there's anything worse you could say, it's that, man, you're now enabling the enemy. He's saying the Jewish synagogue there is actually Satan's synagogue. What an indictment on that synagogue. What a strong indictment that this synagogue was actually doing Satan's work. So Jesus was trying to encourage this church saying, hey, they've given themselves over to Satan. Verse 10, do not fear any of those things which are about to, you are about to suffer. Don't you love that? You go to the doctor and they say, hey, this is about to hurt, but it's going to be okay. You're like, can we not have any pain? Like, how do, we, how do we avoid that? So when Jesus says, hey, do not fear any of the things you're, which you are about to suffer. Wait, what do you mean? What am I about to suffer, Jesus? Like, I don't know if that gives a lot of comfort. But he goes on in verse number 10. And he says, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He said, tribulation, 10 days. Scholars believe that that's not a literal 10-day period. That, hey, they just got to make it 10 days. You could survive 10 days. They actually believe that there was the 10 uh, Caesars, the, the, the 10 emperors that survived that is actually what they, they believe they're talking about there. And so here they are. But did you catch that he said, and if you survive, there'll be a crown of life? Remember how I told you there was 11 uh, temples up on the mountaintop and they looked like a crown? You see, the idea there is Jesus saying, you think that's a great crown? You think that's beautiful? I've got a crown of life waiting for you. And he says to the church to prevail, to be faithful. And this church does prevail. You ever heard the old adage, tough times never last, but tough people do? Here's this church. They learn to be tough. You see, Smyrna is this beautiful city. This is the great church. But the thing about myrrh, and this is what the church is called, the only way to get that sweet fragrance out of myrrh was to crush it. It's the only way. 
You know, Jesus is trying to give us an illustration that there is a crushing that must take place in our life. That there must be some breaking of our will. You see, that's the only way to get the crown is to go through the crushing. And many of us don't want to go through the crushing experiences in our life. And let's be honest, we don't want to. I'm still waiting on the diagnosis for my wife's uh, procedure. I I don't want to go through that. I don't want you to go through sickness and health and uncertainty. I don't want you to suffer through those things. Nobody wants to suffer, let's be honest. But yet we see that there's value in that crushing. And Jesus is saying to this church, there is something sweet fragrance. There's an aroma that is coming through this crushing. You see, even though they were being crushed, Jesus provided comfort. And this morning, you may be going through a crushing season in your life, but I'm telling you, Jesus comes in with that comfort in that moment. And so your life is about to produce a fragrance. You see, this church was frail, but they were fragrant. They had a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. There was something pleasant about this church. There was something you walk in there and know. You wouldn't walk in and be like, oh, man, their worship team's amazing. Oh, man, look at their pastor. Oh, man, look at their children's ministry. They got a water slide in the baptistry. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you would not look at their campus and be awed. As a matter of fact, you would look at it and you'd be like, there's not much there. Except there's an aroma. There's a sweetness about them. Sometimes when I get around you and when we get around each other, we just say, you know what, You're, you're pretty great people. It's pretty awesome to get to be around one another. Even though you may not always feel great, you have that aroma, that fragrance where God is working, where you see that there is, even though there's a crushing season, that there's still good things happening. There was a famous martyr that he died out of this church. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John, the revelator, the one who wrote this book down for you and I to study. His name was John Polycarp. And, and, and Polycarp, uh, or excuse me, John mentored Polycarp and discipled him. Polycarp was out of this church. And Polycarp was to die at the stake. They were going to execute Polycarp. He was going to be executed. And they were going to burn him at the stake. It's gruesome. But the testimony that is recorded of John Polycarp, they said, just simply say, Caesar is Lord, and you're done. You don't have to do anything. Just say, Caesar is Lord. Just bow the knee, and that's it. That's all you got to do, and then you're okay. Just, just bow the knee, and Polycarp is recorded by saying that God has done me no harm all of my life. Why now should I not be loyal to him? And they said, Bind him to the stake to burn him. And he said, no need to bind me. I will stand there. John Polycarp walked over to the stake, and he stood there as they lit him on fire. They said through testimony in a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, you can read about it, they said there was a look of peace and tranquility that came over Polycarp as he gave his life joyfully. They said it was like looking at the face of an angel. Here was a man who said, I can endure the crushing. You see, many of us today, we do have it pretty easy, pretty comfortable. Let's just be honest that today's Western Christianity, we're not too worried about losing a job, though there was a season if you would go to church, D would share, if, he would, if his work found out he would go to church during COVID, that they, they would let him go. But yet, that's a little bit of persecution. But for the most part, you're not worried about, am I going to be able to go to the marketplace and be seen and, and be able to have employment and provide for my family? We're not quite there yet. But in this day, you were. You were ostracized if you were a follower of the way. And so here was a church that said, we love God so much, we will risk it all because he's worth it. Because they understand you can't have a crown without being crushed. You can't ever reach what God wants. You see, the mark of true faith in Jesus Christ is that you persevere. You see, this church, they had learned one thing. How did they prevail? How did they overcome it all? And this is what I want to wrap it up on, is they knew how to persevere. And I think that's one of the things that the church in the West has to learn now or will never get it. You say, what do you mean? 
It's knowing how to persevere through the tribulation, knowing how to persevere through the difficulties. We've gotten a little bit soft as a community, as a church. We, we've just gotten a little bit too comfortable. The church, and I'm, I'm talking about the big C church in America. I mean, we're used to our massive, uh, gigantic uh, church buildings that are comfortable, and everybody kind of got this thing dialed in. And if the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not a big deal. You don't really care because the worship team, they're going to do their job. They'll come through. And, uh, you know, the children's ministry, they got along lockdown and their coffee's a little is really good and the pastor he knows how to give a, get he, he and his team have been crafting that sermon it's not like uh, like your pastor is just kind of like all right dear god download something please you know i gotta have something to say this sunday you know and just study and everything but they got whole teams and you're like yeah, yeah that message it was that was all right and there's churches today that they wouldn't know if the holy spirit showed up or, did, or left because it's just mechanics it's just going through the motions but yet here was a church that said, we got to have God. That's it. We're, we're depending on him. And so the church today needs to have a wake-up call. We need to have this wake-up that, wait a minute, we need to persevere. So when the trials and difficulties come, that we're going to be faithful. If they take away the tax-free status, we're still going to be faithful. That if they try to put people in the church to try to disrupt things, that we're still going to be faithful. They started out with uh, giving out loans to churches. You know those loans? It was the uh, small business loans. Now they're coming back and saying, if you took that money, here's your new requirements that you got to follow. Hey, you took money from the government. Guess what? You are now beholden to the government. You took money. There's no, there's no free lunch. You think Uncle Sam's going to let you off free? No, 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 no. He got his hooks in you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers understand that the church today needs to say you know what? i stand for jesus and i love jesus and if there are times where i'm getting crushed there should be a sweet fragrance coming from my life just like the city of smyrna but like the city of smyrna they had two fragrances that would come out of the city i told you about the one the sweet cinnamon you want to know the other fragrance that would come out of the city you see when they would build the city and rebuild the city they just kept building on top of building on top of building so another thing that would happen when it rained They didn't think about the sewage problem of a growing city. So this whole city had this open sewage. So when it rained, the sweet cinnamon flavor was um, blocked by another smell that just permeated the city and began to stink. Isn't it amazing that the stuff that's under the surface that's hidden eventually always comes up and it gives this smell, this odor? You see, the church at Smyrna, they gave off a sweet smell. They gave off this smell that, that, that was pleasing. But yet sometimes if we allow secrets in our life, we can give off a putrid smell. You see, Smyrna, this was a city that vacillated between those two points. But we need to have an aroma that can change the atmosphere. But then notice that they persevered. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You see, perseverance is stubbornness that has a purpose. I'll also say this about perseverance. The less suffering you endure, the more average you become. Let me say it again. The less suffering you endure, the more average you become. You ever start a new job? There's that learning curve. And there's always that one person that'll tell you, hey, man, you know, I'll, I'll show you the shortcuts. You don't have to work that hard. No, 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 no. As soon as the boss is out of sight, don't. Don't do it. Selena works at, at, at a, a tech company, and I would talk to her when I worked in a tech company, and, I, and they would say, hey, here's a building where they haven't installed the cameras, so if you want to take a nap or you want to be out of sight, you know, that building has no cameras, so that's where you could go. And I was like, this is my first day. You're already telling me how to get away with cheating on time. You know, you're already, you're already telling me how to steal from the boss by I'm getting paid as I go take a nap. Excuse me? No, 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 that's not right, but yet we've all worked at that place. We've all worked there where somebody says, hey, we're supposed to get a 15-minute break, but come on, let's take 25. We work hard. Let's take a little bit longer. And yet here we're learning that that's the average mindset. So if you are afraid of suffering, you say, I don't want to ever suffer, then guess what? We will always be average. You know, anybody here ever flown first class? Let me just see all of you. Amazing people that have flown first class. You smelled that first class air. That's, that, that curtain has been pulled behind you, not in front of you. You know, one day I will pass the veil into the glory. And I will experience that rare air of first class. Not until my Delta card has enough points where it's free. 
But those of you who've been in first class, you know the difference. You know the leg room. Luckily, I'm a relatively smaller guy. But for an average person, economy was not made for you. It was made for guys like me. They find the smallest guy. They were like, yeah, guy looks average. Let's make all the seats like fit him, you know. It's not, the economy was not built for a normal human being. Let's just be honest. And the airlines know it. And they laugh at us in their Boeing headquarters. They design these planes, you know. The evil little laughs as they like, ha ha. They think they're going to get three people. This is only made for two. But yet, I've seen people go into first class, you know. And they do this when they drink, you know, whatever <laughs> they drink. My son, Austin's been in first class. I can't believe he's beat me to first class. His uncle had a cancellation. His wife couldn't make the trip. So he said, hey, I'm going to let Austin come to first class. I said, no, you're not. You can take me or Jane, but definitely not Austin because he's going to rub it in my face. And he comes back with all the first class food. He's like, look what they give you in first class. He's like, this is real silverware. It's not that fake stuff. It's real, you know. And they gave him orange juice and like a wine glass and a wine flute. And he was holding it like this. And I was like, what do you, where'd you learn that? Like, how did you even know how to swash around? He's eight. I was like, man, I don't know what your mother's teaching you. My goodness, I got I to gotta watch a little bit more. But you know, the only difference between first class and economy is what somebody's willing to pay for it. The only difference between your Christian life and somebody else's Christian life is what you're willing to pay for it. You say, are you willing to pay some time out of, a, out of your morning to say, I'm going to go worship God. I'm going to go read and study. I'm going to get close to God. I want to be as close to God because I need something to help me to persevere when life gets tough. And when life gets tough, I need something that I don't just need to, a Xanax or some Adder- Adderall. I don't need some drugs. I don't need some alcohol. I need to know that God is with me. And I didn't know that he empathizes because that's what's going to get me through. It's a relationship with God that is going to get me through. It's nothing else. Too often we hear people say, your Christianity is so narrow-minded. I can't believe that your God would say that I can't go to heaven. Like, how horrible is that? And you look back at those, that person and you say, you know, there's this place in London. It's called Buckingham Palace. It's a house where the queen lives. It's a house. Now, let's say we were to fly to Buckingham right now, this morning. We go there. And we walk up to Buckingham Palace and we say, I feel like I have a right to go into Buckingham Palace. They would say, are you related to the king or queen? No, I'm not, but I have a right to go in there. Sorry. You only get into Buckingham Palace, not by right, but by relationship. You only get into heaven, not by right, but relationship. It's a relationship with God. That's how you get in there. It's nothing that you and I do. It's a relationship with Jesus. That's why we get there. That's why we can be a part of the kingdom of God. That's why we make it into heaven. So understand right now, it's saying, God, I want that relationship with you. I want that relationship so deep. And that relationship will help us to persevere. Because that's what the church needs to learn in this season. How to persevere through difficulty. How to persevere through trials. How to persevere So many Christians, it's when the trials come that that reveals the foundation. I speak to a lot of pastors who are deeply discouraged right now. Let's just be honest. They're deeply discouraged. There are churches that, there are people that they're never coming back. You say, what do you mean? There are people that they, once COVID hit, they're done with church. They said, I'm not not doing that thing anymore. I, I went a year and a half without it, and guess what? I'm just fine. I don't need it anymore. And there are pastors that they're discouraged There are churches that are thinking, we got to close this thing down. And so what does God say through to us, through the church of Smyrna? He's saying, persevere. Persevere, because the crown of life is not just for this church, but what did the Apostle Paul? And there's a crown of life to all those who look for his appearing. There's a crown of life for every person, not just for the church of Smyrna. There is a crown of life, but it takes perseverance. And church, we are a persevering church. We're a church that keeps on going. We're not a church when it gets hard that we just say, oh, I'm out. No, no, we're a church that says, hey, give us the tough battle. Give us the tough area, and we will keep on fighting for the Lord Jesus Christ because there are people who need to know Jesus. There are people that think they're going to get into heaven because of a right and not a relationship, and it's up to us to tell them that it's not a right, it's a relationship, that Jesus wants to have that relationship, and it's our responsibility to tell them that Jesus Christ loves them and that they need to receive him unto themselves, and it's our responsibility, church, and we need to learn from the church of Smyrna to persevere. We need to learn 
how to endure hardships as a good soldier. You see, perseverance makes anything possible. In February, Jane and I, we went to Maui. We had planned the trip pre-COVID, and then COVID hit right when we were supposed to take the trip. Actually, my brother decided to get married the day we were supposed to leave on the trip, and I said yes to his wedding, not knowing COVID was going to happen, so I couldn't reschedule. And then the airline and then the hotel said, hey, you're going to lose your whole trip if you don't come now. And we're like, what is COVID? You're not going to give me a refund? The hotel and the airlines are like, no, we ain't, we're, not, we're not extending it any longer. We extended as far as we go. So we decided to go and we actually had a great time. You know, you had to, you had to do the little nose swab where Kaiser tickles your brain and everything and they make sure you're, you're negative. And we went, we had a great time and we did the road to Hana. Anybody ever driven on the road to Hana? It's beautiful. Hopefully you did it in a vehicle that works. All right. Don't take a vehicle that does not work. It's a dangerous thing. But we went, but then there's this little peninsula. It's called the KNA Peninsula. Anybody ever been to the KNA Peninsula? We're walking to the KNA Peninsula. They had this famous banana bread place that, because of COVID, was shut down. Jane found them on Instagram. She said, Why didn't you take me here? I said, It was COVID. They were shut down. We tried. But as we were just walking around, there was a beautiful chapel, church that was built, an old congregational church built in 1856. I got a picture of it. Can we put a picture of it? Yeah, this is church. And I was just like, wow, look at that. On this beautiful little peninsula. This is a tiny little peninsula. It's just one road in, one road out. Time, there's few people that still live there. And it was just kind of off the beaten path. And we were listening to somebody tell us about the KNA Peninsula. And they began to talk about this little congregation church. And it began to talk about how there was a 7.4 earthquake that hit April first 1956-1957 and that sent a tidal wave that hit this little peninsula and the only thing left standing on the entire peninsula was this church that was built in the 1850s and it's still there it's still active and they still have church and that little church almost 200 years later and they're still standing That's what I call perseverance. That's what I call saying, we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. And I just told Jane, I said, that is what I want to have. I want to have a church that 200 years from now, people are saying, the church is still there. They're still preaching the gospel. They're still holding church. Lives are still being changed. And that was the only thing that the storm couldn't wash away. You know, it's the only thing that will really last. There's a lot of things that we can do, a lot of things we can build. Companies come and go. Companies we never thought would come and go have come and gone. Remember when Blockbuster was like, oh, it's Blockbuster, man. It's taking over the world. It's like Blockbuster. Ask the kids at Rich Kids about Blockbuster. What? What's Blockbuster? My kids don't know what a CD player is. They're like, what is this? What is this? They don't know what an iPod is. I was like, are you kidding me? That was the coolest thing to have an iPod. Actually, it was really cool if you had a pager. Remember those days? If you had a pager in high school, oh, man. you were you, And then you could do the numbers. You could put hello with your pager. Like, you could spell it out. Like, holy cow, those were the days, right? But now you see whole companies that are just disappearing. Because they're not built on anything that's going to last. And our church, we want to say, we want to be a church that, God willing, we persevere. But for the church to persevere, and the church is not a building, right? The church is a people. Called out assembly, the ecclesia. It means the people persevere. It means this generation is going to pass it on to the next generation. And that generation is going to pass it on to the next. And to the next. And to the next. And right now, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. For now we see through a glass dark that we don't know the future. We just have faith and belief that God is guiding us and that the next step is going to be for God's glory and our good. Can we stand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful and thankful for what you're doing in our place. Father, would you help us to learn this simple truth of perseverance? If there's nothing we can learn aside from that out of the church of Smyrna, that we learn that the church of Smyrna knew how to persevere through the most impossible of circumstances. And so, Father, we humble ourselves right now, and we ask you, Father, to 
Strengthen us. Father, at times we want to give in to doubt. At times we just think it's just easier not to persevere. It's just easier to give up on the marriage, to give up on parenting, to give up on God, to give up on church, to just walk away from it all. But God, give us the internal fortitude to persevere. God, would you fill us with strength? Would you guide us? Father, we need you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray for you. Is there anybody in this room? You say, hey, pastor, I want, I want prayer. I, I want to grow in my perseverance. I tend to be a quitter. I tend to give up too soon. Can I pray for you? Is that you? You lift up your hands. I can pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Oh, God bless you. We're going to have a time of prayer, and what we do here is we open up the front. If you want to come kneel at the front or you want to make an altar out of your seat, the worship team's going to lead us in one final worship song, but I want to give you an opportunity where you say, God, help me to persevere in this season. Help me not to walk away too soon. Help me not to give up. And maybe it's not your relationship with God that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a relationship with your parents or with a loved one or a spouse. Or maybe it's a job. Maybe there's something you're, you're not, you don't have the peace to let go of. You don't have the peace to quit. And you're saying, I think God still wants me here, but I just want to get out. And right now you just say, God, is this something I need to persevere in? Or is this, is this the right thing? And you say, God, I want to follow your leading. And we'll seek him. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, you see these hands, you see these hearts. You see these people that they've said they want to persevere. They want to grow in their perseverance. And God, that's the most important thing for us, is that we learn to be faithful. God, one of the greatest attributes is to hear you one day say to each and every one, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Father, that's what we want to hear. But the only way to hear that is if we learn perseverance. God, may there be a new generation of people who stay married 50, 60, and 70 years. May there be a new generation rising up that'll say, we're going to be faithful to the house of God. May there be a new generation that rises up, says, we're going to be faithful to the word of God. May there be a new generation that's rising up out of our midst right now that says we are going to serve God, that we are going to fear God, that we are going to honor God, that we are going to look to win as many souls for the kingdom as possible. May you raise up a new generation, or would you breathe fresh life into tired bones that we once again say, Father, we are going to do all that you've called us to do in this season. May this season be the best season in our lives. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting southridgesanjose.com slash connect. Again, that's southridgesanjose.com slash connect.